Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... I get really passionate about impact opportunities that lower the bar or widen the path for positive impact. And I think partnerships play a really key role in doing that because some groups may have a better ability to reach a number of people and some people may have a better pathway of programmatic impact and combining those two things makes a lot of sense. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 313 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Tim Middlemiss. Tim Middlemiss is the co-founder of Ripple, the impact accelerator for young Australia. Every eight minutes in 2021, a young person discovered a new opportunity to shape the future through Ripple. Prior to launching Ripple, Tim was Chief of Staff to former CEO of World Vision Australia, Tim Costello, and led global engagement for pioneering impact investment firm Leapfrog. Tim was a founding director of Social Impact Creative Studio Agency, named International New Agency of the Year in 2015, a Westpac Businesses of Tomorrow, and a Gruen Pitch winner of 2017. Tim was the creator and presenter of World Vision's Global Leadership Conferences, presenting to tens of thousands of young people annually, and training local presenters the world over. In 2020, Tim was named in the inaugural cohort of Obama Foundation Leaders for Asia Pacific, and later named by President Obama as one of 60 community leaders for the future. So it's great to have Tim with us today. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Really looking forward to it. So let's kick things off with a little bit about your background, Tim, and what it was that led to your interest and passion in social impact, strategy, and partnerships. For me, it's definitely been a real zigzag. I started off, and I really have a distinct memory of this moment, wanting to be a vet. I remember in year one, my best mate telling me that if we didn't know what we wanted to do with our future, we'd be lost and we needed to decide quick. Um, <laughs> no and, pressure. Uh, no pressure, year one. And he chose astronaut and I chose vet, and we didn't waver from those paths for most of our schooling. He got a lot closer than I did, but Amazing. I did work experiences in year 10, and Tom, I absolutely hated it. I love working with animals, but I did not enjoy my time as a vet. So I have what to do, and when I finished school, I spoke to a whole bunch of people about what I should do, and I landed with studying teaching, which I desperately enjoyed. I got to meet some wonderful people, and I loved working with young people, but uh, when I got into the classroom, I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. And like a lot of young teachers, unfortunately, ended up leaving that profession really early. And actually, for me, it was this time where this convergence of a bunch of things had led me to start thinking about this world of injustice and poverty beyond the shores that I had begun to see and hadn't experienced and, and systems that entrench those things. So I started to want to explore different creative, innovative and efficient ways of making social impact and 
All of those things led me to working in the not-for-profit sector through an incredible organization called World Vision. From there, I learned so much from the people I was around and was captivated by this mission and, and just continued on that journey, finding new and innovative ways to explore what social impact looked like. Wonderful. It's a great story, Tim. And I think, obviously, that position at World Vision gave you a lot of experience and exposure to a range of different activities and insights too. So you are now the co-founder at Ripple, which is this organization backing young people to take small steps and big leaps to shape the future. So tell us a little bit more about the projects you're working on and, and where you're heading with Ripple. I guess in, in a way, just one big project. For us, we talk about Ripple as being a startup accelerator, yep. uh, but instead of trying to work with new business ideas we're working with young people and helping them in that transition period where they're leaving the linear pathways of an education system into this big wide world the way that we frame it up is that young people have taught and socialized into a world in which you climb ladders but what they really need to learn to do is to sail this open ocean of opportunity yeah. and and so ripple is really all about that helping young people discover opportunities build capacity and grow their network and their platform to shape their own future we're trying to build an ecosystem in which all of those things are possible through Ripple. For us, we just finished our Launchpad event, which is this annual energizer where we bring together experts and young people from our community to recharge our batteries and to encourage one another on these zigzagging journeys mm. of impact. And that's always a lot of fun. You get a lot of energy from the people in our community and, and being able to connect them with some really inspiring individuals. And this year, we've been fortunate enough to have the Assistant Secretary General Julian Triggs join us. We had Robin Denholm, who's the chair of Tesla. We had Pete Yao, who's the impact officer for Thank You. So it was a really encouraging moment for our young people. But moments only matter if they can turn into momentum. Uh, what our focus is on at Ripple is providing that long-term journey with young people mm. in our community, building out the platform that's going to walk with young people over a number of years as they accelerate that transition out of school and into a world that they can shape for themselves. As part of that, the two big things that we're looking at next is how we build a platform itself so yep. that young people can currently experience that ecosystem. At the moment, it's a terrible user experience. We're working really hard to improve that behind the scenes. Watch this space. If you've been to ripple.gl, it will get better. Um, <laughs> The other thing that's really big on the horizon for us are our partnerships. So Launchpad, the program I just mentioned, we ran that with young people from more than 50 local governments. We're really proud of our key local government partners and are looking at really exploring ways to help grow those partnerships with local governments. Yep. So if you're or you work in local government, we'd love to chat with you about those. And the other thing that we're, that we're working hard on is building out our partnerships with some really exciting new projects with corporates and other organizations. So recently piloted one with our friends over at Blackbird to make it easier for members of our community to join their awesome ProtoStars project. Mm. And we've got some cool stuff like that in the works going forward as well. So many exciting projects there and some great opportunities by the sounds of it for these young people. And you've worked with lots of young leaders, Tim. So for all of our listeners out there, particularly those young leaders who are keen to create some really positive social, cultural or environmental change, what would your advice be for particularly if they're at the stage that they're looking to start an organization or a campaign or an initiative that tackles some of these pressing issues 
I asked a very similar question to someone who we interviewed at Ripple, Ahwe Nguyen, who's a social entrepreneur here in Australia. And his advice was that every day you should wake up and try and kill your idea. And if it survives, you're onto a good thing. And that really stuck with me. Good advice. I'm not sure I can be so succinct, but I got a few things that, that I'd mentioned. I think the first for me is to get out there and talk to people. If you want to address some of the world's most pressing social, cultural, environmental problems, fantastic. I think what you'll find is that so do a lot of people. And so get out there and, and talk to people who are affected by the problem you're trying to address. Talk to people who are working in that space or adjacent to that space. Talk to people who aren't working in that space but whose approach you admire it and really take us a, a posture of listening first. Often we can shoot off in our own direction, really excitable by the things that we see. So taking that chance to have people who can lift your vision and give you a greater visibility is really important as a first step. Mm. I think the second thing is to consider if the thing you want to do needs to be a new thing or it can be done in an existing institution or yes. an existing organization. There are already something like 60,000 charities in Australia, yeah. which equates to about a charity for every 400 people in Australia to support. That's a lot. A third of those charities are considered small. About half of those charities don't have any paid employees run purely by volunteers. Now, I love charity worked in that sector a long time and it does incredible work. Starting a new organization may seem like the exciting or shiny thing to do, but it's important to really wrestle with the idea about whether a new thing is needed yes. or if instead you could work through existing pathways. I've had a long association with a couple of great not-for-profits, the World Vision being one and Taronga Conservation Society being another. Those are two big organizations, but I've constantly been amazed about not only the quality of staff in them, but their willingness to innovate, try new things and to back new people. So consider that concept of being an entrepreneur uh, as well as being an, an entrepreneur and, and starting something new. And the third thing, if I can just quickly, is also to think widely about where you fit in. So take a look at the landscape and consider change can be made in a lot of different ways. Mm. And you might take an issue like climate change and think about how that's being addressed at a civic level, in terms of policy, in a workforce level through corporates, or at a community level, thinking locally. It's helpful to think in that phase because climate change needs to be addressed in all of those areas. So if you can see a gap in one of those places, then that's a great space to insert yourself. You don't need to tackle the issue in every facet, but maybe mm. thinking specifically about where your passions lie and, and where you can make the biggest difference in an area that you're passionate about in a space in which it's not already being addressed yes. is really crucial. I couldn't agree more, Tim. I think that's some great advice there and certainly worth taking on because I think that big, shiny mass can sometimes lure people into a different mindset. And in many ways, sometimes that's led by ego, but probably for a separate podcast. I'm keen to hear, Tim, a little bit about impact investment from you because you are the global lead of communications and engagement at Glitfrog Investments. And I'm just wondering whether in your role you've identified any gaps in this sort of impact investment space to better be supporting our impact-led entrepreneurs in create, creating that change that they want to see. That's a really interesting question, Tom. For LeapFrog, we're an organisation that focuses on a really interesting opportunity, which is this rising group of billions of emerging consumers in what we describe as emerging markets. That's people who are, through the good functioning of global cooperation and aid, who are lifting themselves out of generations of poverty and beginning yep. to become consumers on the world stage. And you look at places like India or Indonesia or mm. um, Eastern and Southern Africa, where that's happening at incredible scale. And so LeapFrog exists in this niche of supporting 
those consumers to find the tools that are going to enable them to shape their own lives, financial mm. and healthcare tools that give them stability and futures to build upon. Uh, and, and so for me, I really enjoy the idea that LeapFrog has brought to the world stage that profit and purpose can be delivered in a way that makes life full of opportunity for people who have gone generations without. And, and so that niche is really important. But to take your question a bit more broadly and look at impact investment as a whole, I think there's this trend line by which impact investment began maybe 10, 15 years ago as a concept with these kids on the side of the room who were a little bit awkward, a little bit different to the rest of the investment community. Now, fast forward a decade later, they're the cool kids at the table. They're yeah. the jocks or the cheerleaders of the global cafeteria of financial investment, yes. um, which is a terrible metaphor. But if you'll go with me, that gives a <laughs> lot of like impetus to this space to help coach what impact looks like and mm. there's a lot of education that needs to happen at every level for people to understand what good and efficient impact looks like it's not enough to to capture the feeling of doing good or the biggest number of people reached in doing good but to drive deeper and to really have this a single-eyed pursuit this north star of what improving tangibly the lives of others look like and the systems of lives in which people live i, I think at a really broad stage impact investment has this opportunity where it's now so in vogue that it, it has this burden of responsibility on its shoulders to usher in a world in which impact isn't run by people who want to do impact washing and just sound like they're doing good. They have a real burden of responsibility to coach people in what meaningful impact looks like. For me, that's point one of looking at the impact investment space. And then I think the other point to your question about supporting impact-led entrepreneurs is, is to be fixated on this concept of good impact. And too often we experience this in Ripple where people are so supportive of what you do because it, it feels good and it looks like it's making a difference. But to help impact-led entrepreneurs do that difficult, messy work of measuring and evaluating their enterprises to make sure that they're committed to good impact and they're actually doing good impact is so important. Mm -hmm. I look at brands like Thank You and I'm in awe of the way that they lead so transparently, that they stand up and own mistakes that are made yep. to try and shift industries towards good impact. And I, and I think impact investors have a unique opportunity to coach their investment portfolios to do that better. Such great points there, Tim. And coincidentally, I just spoke with Daniel Flynn a week or two ago. So for the audience out there, they can tune into Daniel Flynn, founder of Thank You as well, to hear his thoughts on some of these issues. But you did speak a little bit earlier, Tim, about partnerships. And I know it's one of the areas that you really excel in. So what do you believe are some of these fundamental ingredients then of strong and successful partnerships? And where have you seen some common pitfalls emerge when these multiple sort of stakeholders come together? I think for me, there's two like driving commitments about impact and partnerships that matter. And the first is that impact isn't its own vertical. It's, it's a horizontal. It cuts through every element of either a business or a life. And naturally, partnerships become a key part of that. Anyone who is trying to do anything does that in relationship, whether it's in the communities in which you exist or in the businesses in which you work. If impact is truly horizontal, then it needs to be considered in any partnership that you take on. And the second is that impact doesn't get done by any individual. Everyone has a role to play. There can't be any spectators in the world of impact because mm. you are either making a positive or negative impact in whatever you're doing. I get really passionate about impact opportunities that lower the bar or widen the path for positive impact. And I think partnerships play a really key role in doing that. Some groups may have a better ability to reach a number of people and some people may have a better 
pathway of programmatic impact and combining those two things makes a lot of sense. I'm super passionate about partnerships over the idea of just creating new things to try and achieve uh, new end. I think one of the elements that is core to a really good functioning partnership is just like a soccer team is that people will play different roles but those roles have a place and if you have a i don't know are you a soccer fan tom oh look i lived in barcelona for almost 10 years tim so i couldn't not be <laughs> you couldn't not be. <laughs> wait do you, do you have a team do you follow a team i don't want to derail this too much if i lived in barcelona i would probably have been murdered if i had been a, a madrid fan but yes i, I do yes. uh i enjoy barca i i, okay. I go for barca well, I'm a very strong and committed Arsenal supporter. and um, Oh, look, they're my escape. second team, Tim. Oh, good. The podcast can continue. I'm not going to walk out yet. If you have a defender that wants to be a striker, your team is instantly in all sorts. You might have the best nine other players, but if just those two positions can't work out who's doing what, your whole team falls apart. It's very much like that in partnerships. You have to be very clear-eyed about what the role is that you're going to do and the role that you have to play together. That's where clarity of role and also clarity of credit have become really important. The best partnerships that I've seen have been ones in which two organisations or more are doing their natural work and they can see an overlap and they come together, divide responsibilities and they keep clear-eyed about Mm. who does what and clear-eyed about what good looks like. More often than not, you see those pitfalls emerge where what's most exciting to one company is attaching themselves to a brand of another. To either look good or to reach more people As soon as the motive is triggered by, oh, if if only we can add that brand to our website or if only we could get an email to that list of people, we'd finally hit this goal or we'd grow our reach X. There's an undercurrent, an ulterior motive that's not surfaced. Mm. Uh, Those partnerships crumble because one party is after something different to what the other party has signed up for. So we're fortunate enough at Ripple to to work with some amazing partners and and chief among those at the moment being local government. And the local governments are big organisations and they have set ways of working uh, and we need to be clear-eyed about the fact that things will take time and we need to work through and build trust and relationships with those partners yeah but in the end what we get out of it is an organization that is so purely aligned to the strategic impact outcomes that we are young people thriving in their communities thriving in their workplace and participating in the civic system but it's a no-brainer when we build those partnerships they last for years and years. They're not just fleeting. Yes. Uh, for us, that's a deliberate decision to take the slow partnership building path over more quick, exciting or thrilling mm. partners that might exist to, yep. to have something that's really held together. It's like the relational versus the transactional, right? Hugely. And that's not to say that there aren't frustrations that come in any partnership. Yeah, but yeah. But if you're aligned to what that that ultimate outcome looks like and you're both clear on the roles that you have when those frustrations come up it's really clear how you might resolve them Mm, great point there tim in getting close to wrap up now i'm keen to hear if there's any inspiring projects or initiatives that you wanted to just quickly mention to the audience there's this great one i've heard of tom called ripple and if you're 18 to 26 and (laughs) interested in accelerating your impact head over to ripple.gl now one one of the great parts about working with a whole bunch of young people is daily getting to hear of some really awesome ways that people are addressing social change differently one group that comes front of mind is a group called tech for social good run by this small group of young people from a couple of different universities who do degrees that i couldn't even explain the name of things mm. like mechatronics if that's a word software engineering and, and work in that tech space these are people who are getting headhunted by some of the biggest tech companies in the world and they've decided that they 
want to use their network and their community to keep this generation grounded in how they can do better in the world of tech. And so how the next generation of our tech leaders tied to a strong stance of ethics and morality. And so we learn from the mistakes of the past. And I just think the, a great example of the collision of impact and mm. passion. So a huge fan of them, even though I do not understand most of the words that they're saying, I, I love them to bits. I want to give a shout out to the less exciting world of social change. Day in, day out, you have organizations whose brands we know who've been around for eons and eons whether it be groups like World Vision or Save the Children in International Development or Salvos or, or Red Cross here in Australia. Each day there are people getting access to clean drinking water who are going to school for the first time, who are having their breakfast picked up so that they can eat before going to school here in Australia, mm -hmm. uh, who aren't slipping through the cracks because of the amazing civil institution that we get to be part of. So I'm inspired by people doing great new things like Tech for Social Good. And on the other side, that hard, less exciting social change that's been going on for generations. Mm, some great reflections there. So thanks for sharing. We'll stick some links in the article so that people can click on through and have a bit of a look at those. So to finish off then, Tim, what books would you recommend to our listeners? It would be remiss of me not to give a big shout out to my good mate Shane Hatton, who has just had his second book published, Let's Talk Culture. Shane is a great leader and this book has been really well timed for me because at Ripple, we're wrestling with the idea of how you turn an idea that's shared between a couple of founders and early team members into a culture that's shared across an entire team mm -hmm. and a growing team. And so anyone who's working in a space in which a small thing is growing into a bigger thing, Let's Talk Culture has been a really helpful book about how you have those conversations with your team to build a culture that's fitting of the organization that you want it to be. And, mm -hmm. and stuff like the, the Great Resignation and also some of the stories about cultural toxicity and other organizations that we've all seen and heard this is a great book to to help step you through that but to be honest tom that's one of the few businessy books i've ever read i actually tend to read more boring history books as a former history teacher so my <laughs> recommendation is going to be the biggest estate on earth a great book that looks at agricultural sustainability pre-colonization in, in indigenous australia which has just blown my mind over the past few months so um, sounds excellent and in many ways similar to dark emu by bruce pascoe exactly if you've read dark emu and you enjoy biggest estate on earth if you haven't read dark emu you'll enjoy either that or Biggest Estate on Earth and you should read one of them or both of them. That's a great way to finish the podcast, Tim. And it sounds like a great read. Tim, thanks again so much for sharing your really generous insights and time today. I really do appreciate it and we'll look forward to touching base down the line. Thanks so much for having me and thanks for all the great work you do at Impact Boom, Tom. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.